Hi everyone, my name is Andreas Feiner and I would like to welcome you to our podcast, Important Problems. Together with my wonderful guests, we will address urgent problems such as sustainability, nature and mental health and how we can tackle them. Our aim is to show you that everyone can solve important problems. Today we meet Alex Stevens. Alex is the CEO of Greenomy, a young startup that is trying to help customers to report and to consume sustainability information based on European laws. He's a lawyer. He started his career at the European Commission and is telling us about his journey to set up a new startup, which goes from six employees into more than 60 now and what all his challenges are on the way. And now, without further ado, let's jump right into this and listen to our conversation. Hi, Alex. Nice to meet you again and uh, really pleasure to have you here, um, uh, despite all of the, the troubles that we had sometimes to connect. Um, I'm really happy to have you here now as one of the guests and the third episode to our podcast to solve important problems. Would you mind introducing yourself a little bit to our listeners? Hello, Andreas. Thanks for having me. Uh, yes, I'm Alex Stevens. I'm, I'm the CEO of Greenomy. Uh, we're a Brussels-based tech company. Um, focus on uh, codifying all the new European sustainable finance frameworks, so taxonomy, CSRD, SFDR, and offer a ESG market infrastructure for corporates, banks, and asset managers to perform their reporting and exchange data with each other. Awesome. But who are you as a person? As a person, I'm Belgian. I'm soon 33. Um, grew up in Brussels, but also internationally, traveled with my parents, who were diplomats uh, across Latin America. And then I also uh, studied in the UK, in the US, and now back in Europe. Uh, Brussels is my home. And uh, uh, my, my key hobbies really are, uh, besides, of course, sustainability and tech, Uh, I very much enjoy hiking. Uh, I did some beautiful hikes uh, back in Latin America and Patagonia that really uh, made me uh, quite in tune with the need to, to protect this planet and, and its beauty. Um, and also a big fan of, of electronic music and especially Berlin music oh, being wow. one of the mecca for for the field that's awesome thank you so much uh, and uh, you said your father was a diplomat um had that any influence in how you how you kind of perceive things and how you think or is it uh, just that you've seen so many countries in the world so so how is that different from from growing up let's say normal in quotation marks uh, you know in in one city one country Well, of course, it helps you to learn to adapt and learn, you know, be, become adaptable as you change environments. And I think in the way I work today as an entrepreneur, you need to be agile and, and be able, you know, as soon as you are facing a new challenge to uh, find solutions and then tackle them fast enough. So that that's one point of adaptability. Second, I would also say that... Um, It opens your your mindset. You know, you're not focused on your, your national basis. You're not EU centric. You also learn uh, the specificities of each regions, each other jurisdictions of the world, and then have a more holistic view of how you could coordinate and, and cooperate. And especially seeing the the work of my parents, 
their job was mainly about you know finding compromise and coordinating. And so, uh, when you want to reach international treaties, you have to make sure you you find the right compromise. And so, this is the same as same way as we are now building this infrastructure, bringing all the different players together to mutualize efforts and, and not necessarily each work in their own corner, especially when you have a such a normal noble goal and objective of, of tackling climate change. Very cool, very cool. You're a lawyer. What did you kind of specialize in in your legal studies and how did you use it at the later stage? So I, I so started law school in 2008 at the, in the midst of the financial crisis. So obviously uh, seeing you know what was happening back then uh, and all the new developments in, in terms of financial regulation, I, I decided to, to specialize in that specific field. Started by focusing on, on European financial regulation, and then uh, I did. Uh, um, I went to to the UK to start to have a more specific focus on, on finance and understand the other side of the coin. You know, not just the, the regulatory part, but also the, the 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 financial logic of how financial markets work and how to make sure you you shape the right rules to. Um, to regulate them and make sure there's uh, there's no surprises anymore. But then I also went to the U.S. Um, in Harvard Law School, where I wanted to focus on U.S. financial regulation compared to to what's done in Europe. And I remember when I applied for a scholarship, the Fulbright scholarship. One of the questions they asked me: Okay, well, you're you're in the UK today in Oxford. Uh, there's a lot of rowing taking place in Oxford. How do you compare rowing with financial regulation? <laughs> and so imagine you're in a room full of seven professors in the field, you know, asking you this question and then you're taken aback and then you have to find the right answer. So what was and the so answer? So obviously for me, the answer for me was, well, uh, the same way, you know, when you're, you're rowing, you need to coordinate with your team and, and uh, make sure you roll at the same moment to go as fast as possible. And that's the same with financial regulation. You want to avoid fragmentation between what's done in Europe, the US, Asia, and other international capital markets and make sure you have as much harmonization as possible uh, so that there's no, no such surprises happening in one region that would have systemic risks uh, and impacts on, on other parts of the world. And how do you see that working at the moment? Is that something, because, you know, obviously the U.S. Is, is kind of, you know, taking a step a little bit away from the ESG topic. Uh, it's a very, um, you know, tribal issue in the U.S., I would even say, from the outside. And then what's happening in, the, in Europe, which we're really kind of pushing for this topic. So, so how do you see that at the moment happening? Europe was the first to push, but there's many other jurisdictions, you know, that are, uh, going in the same direction, what's happening in taking place in Asia Pacific also is very encouraging. Now, I think we should let the time to all, all the different parties and countries to, you know, uh, put in place what works best for them. Um, indeed, there there is some pushback at the state level in the US, but uh, I, I think it's a matter of time. And, uh, you know, with the SEC, the climate-related disclosures and and the ISSB framework coming up, there will be you know there will be something uh, out there next year surely. And nevertheless, 
the financial industry in the U.S. is applying some of these uh, frameworks, including the European frameworks on a voluntary basis for the time being. So uh, it's just a matter of, of time before we're, we're all aligned. Mm. Okay, let's hope for that, of course. Um, so then you studied law, you, you worked for um, the European Commission. Um, now you're setting up your startup. These are kind of, you know, completely different things. Um, what have you learned and, and how do you kind of, you know, how has this influenced your way as an entrepreneur at the moment? Okay, well, you know, when I was, when I was a lawyer uh, dealing mainly with capital markets transactions, I felt that a lot of the work is quite repetitive and that you could use, you know, legal tech technologies to, to facilitate the, the process and make sure you can spend less time on, on trivial aspects and more time on proper analysis. And that, w that was already then, back then I realized, okay, well, I was systematically thinking, okay, about technical technological solutions that could help tackle this. And then the same uh, when, when I was uh, at the European Commission and the digital finance team looking at how we could scale European fintechs, how we could facilitate all the different files, including the systemal finance file, what solutions could be brought up. And so um, my view is uh, I've always been, you know, thinking about how it's one thing you can have a, a hard, a hard low approach where you want to legiferate and impose, you know, conditions, provisions applicable to the different economic players. But at the same time, you could have soft measures such as digitization and technology that could help put all these rules into practice as fast as possible and help uh, help accelerate the implementation and then remove that argument that, okay, uh, you know, the legislation is difficult, it's burdensome, we cannot do it, but then focus on the solution right away. And the more solutions you have at some in some way, the easier it is then to also continue uh, regulating. So, you know, RecTech for me is, is quite important. Uh, it's been now the last 10 years I've been, you know, since I started my studies and working, looking systematically how technologies can help financial regulation. And and in, in the company, the tech company where I work today, it is really, you know, uh, looking into this on a daily basis. It started by, okay, saying, okay, there's all this new legislation still finance coming up. Um, it's a challenge. It's a huge reporting burden. There's a climate emergency. We cannot wait 10, 15 years before it becomes a, a daily uh, reality. And so let's look at, into how technologies and mutualization of efforts can uh, make sure that it's, it's, it can become a reality now or in the coming near future instead of, of uh, in the next 10, 15 years when it's going to be too late. Mm. Yeah, I mean, these are, I mean, technology and mutualization of effort, I think these are, you know, two of the key words that you that you mentioned a couple of times. And I think that's super important. But then, you know, on a kind of, it's very easy to think about these things. And, um, and uh, but when it hits reality, um, you know, being an entrepreneur, it can become stressful. I've been kind of, you know, in this situation myself and, and now even within PwC, you know, um, sometimes, you know, on a sheet of paper, everything looks very easy. But then when you have to convince the people to follow what you think is the, the right path, then kind of it gets difficult. And then um, that's one thing. And then execution is the other thing. 
what's your experience within within your firm and uh, you know how has this changed since you started it we we were three at the very beginning today we're about 65 and and, and uh, more joining um, the very beginning was the most difficult because that's where you know this is a new market uh, there's not necessarily many precedents yet um, and and you have to create the well, first of all create the product business plan and create the credibility with partners customers and of course investors and so i remember in the in the very early days as any startup you would get hundreds of no's and then here and there a yes and it takes time i remember it took us six months to get the first yes but once you get it you get a boost of energy to keep going and you then help it helps you also to 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 uh generate more momentum and 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 then finally be able to get the right financing to move to the next level and so it's all a matter of of um resilience you know you want to keep going you're gonna you have, you're gonna have be confronted with objections and they're actually very useful because they're going to help you constantly improve and think about your business model and the way to approach it. So it is a necessary step that every single entrepreneur has to go through. Um, and then once you're out there, once you have the financing to to hire the right team, to build the product, it's all about keeping pushing. It's going, you know, getting as much feedback as possible to reach that product market fit. I remember in the first year we spoke to 600 players and we were a team of eight. And it was... Uh, from early morning to, to late afternoon, constant calls, nonstop, um, mainly remotely, you know, still through the COVID crisis. And so, so there, you know, having a team where half you've never met in person, most of investors you've never met in person, customers you've seen none, <laughs> uh, that also maybe was a blessing because you could go faster, you know, 30 minutes here, another half an hour there. You could, you know, speed up the process instead of doing the roadshow and, and running around and, and and wasting time commuting. But that 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 exercise, you know, those first two year and a half were very intense. And then, you know, once you moved moved to the next phase, once you get more financing, more revenue coming in, more validation of the product within the market, um, you scale the business. And then now we're 65 and then the challenge is doesn't mean that you're more than you're more productive. Actually, you're, you get less productive and then you have to find the right processes to make sure everyone is in the right position, have the right skill sets and we're all aligned. And so that for the last six months was, uh, was the main challenge we've been looking into. was very fortunate to have a, an excellent CEO to join us. And we're now, you know, reaching that, that, uh, crew speed where you know we're well aligned and and focused now on the targets or targets for for next year mm, interesting and where do you get your energy from when um when you feel down you know when i was an entrepreneur i had you know uh, you always have to be cheerful as good as you can um but then you know you have your inevitable moments where you know you just say okay well why did i even start this <laughs> and then to get you out of that hole again is uh, was at least for me hard work uh, do you experience the same stuff i think any entrepreneur goes through this huh? um well you've yeah, lack of sleep is one thing you know it depends on the days but 
I I tend to wake up very early in the morning. I'm going to bed with a problem and then waking up early in the morning with a, a solution that I dreamt through my my dreams, and then and then want to ex- implement it, you know. And so that's that's part of it. You you're it's 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 intense effort. It's tiring, you know. Burnouts are frequent in, in startups. Um, of course, you need to see, you know, the signals and, and react. But uh, keeping a healthy lifestyle, of course, is is extremely important with whatever the venture you're launching. But I think here specifically, we're a green tech, and so the end objective, which is, you know, facilitate system finance reporting, generation of data, and spend less time on compliance reporting and leverage that data for analysis and measure your state of sustainability today and how to improve it constantly with the ultimate impact that more financing will be allocated to the more sustainable projects of, of the real economy. Well, that final impact is what thing, I think you know provides additional motivation and energy to keep going further and, and advancing. And so uh, I feel it in the culture of our company. You know, you've got... PhDs in finance and STEM finance that have joined. You've got uh, engineers from sectors that were not in sustainability or even fintech and, and brought together and then established more senior uh, players from the financial sector that, you know, you know this see, okay, oh, this is an interesting company. Uh, might be a new challenge. It's dynamic. And they if they joined us. And so you have this mix of uh, several generations interdisciplinary team working together and bearing in mind on a daily basis, okay, what's the impact of what we're doing? And that's, you know, that's something we also mention, measure, and we have our own OPRs in terms of sustainability impact, what we want to achieve uh, externally with our customers and partners, but also internally as a company. Mm. You mentioned OKRs. Can you can you tell the listeners what they are and what it is and, and how that actually helps you to manage the company, just in, in a couple of words? Well, one OKR is we're looking you know, at how many corporates do we help report and how fast does it go? And over time, how much their sustainability will improve. And that's the most important metric. Mm. You know, how much after the first measurement, how much does it improve over time? An internal OKR is ensuring we have perfect gender balance in the team. Uh, we we uh, are reaching closely, you know, to a fifty-fifty split, which is very unlikely in the fintech world, mm. you know. And and that's also something important. And and set those criteria. We uh, we also you know make sure from a personal development. You know, for each team members, it's not only what they can bring to the company, but also vice versa, what the company brings to them. You know, what's uh, how do we train them? And you know, sustainability now is is becoming mainstream. Everyone is now learning about it. Uh, there's so many you know ESG courses, certifications coming up, and that's crucial. And so, even a c- civic duty as a citizen, you know, we're all affected by this climate change, and so we want to learn about it. And so we. You know, we've developed over time ways of bringing outsiders that weren't that were, for, for example, in the financial sector, but not dealing specifically with sustainable finance, and we're able to train them very fast and put them, you know, uh, keep them up to speed. Uh, 
and then they're themselves become thought leaders and bring more insights from their external perspective mm. and help enrich the, the overall collective intelligence of, of the team. Mm. Amazing. So if you think about, you know, the, the new workplace, um, I mean, you started your firm probably three years ago, so right in COVID times, if I recall right. And um, this was working remotely, as you said, you know, finding money remotely, now bringing everybody together. Um, how can you you know, create a culture where people respect themselves and uh, are pushing themselves. And um, how do you do this? Is it, you know, all remote still or is it uh, physically remotely? Do you have like any ideas on where the future of work will go? So um, we used to be 100% remote and now it's half, okay? It's hybrid. So we have the headquarters in Brussels with half of the team about uh, 30 people and with the freedom, you know, to come to the office when they want. Mm -hmm. And we realize, you know, that by giving this freedom, it also helps them feeling, you know, uh, having more internal balance, work-life balance, but also the different settings help them become more productive and then bring in more ideas. And um, we let them, you know, shape their own groups of colleagues that get together on specific days and uh, uh, have activities uh, run together. Now, the challenges with those that are not necessarily in the headquarters uh, and, and live in all the other cities around Europe, uh, if I'm rec recollecting well, we are now present in, in 10 European cities. So what's, how do you make sure, you know, if there's one person there on their own, it's, it's very difficult. So, of course, they have their co-working spaces that they can join but not, it's not necessarily team members and so um, what I make sure is of course each time when I uh, commute around Europe I make sure I spend time with them you know and uh, and and uh, they're able you know to meet with me brief them and also enable them to come to the headquarters whenever they want and spend as much time as possible mm. so that's that's definitely in terms of logistics what you can put in place of course we have our you know uh monday mornings friday mornings we have these team meetings with everyone we have town halls every month and um we we use all the productivity tools we have online slack and so on <laughs> to 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 coordinate and we also use the the fun widgets and tools you have on these platforms virtual coffee chats etc just to make sure there's not only about work but also you you have the human aspect in it um so that's you know you that's how we're tackling this this hybrid model are you succeeding with the human aspect i find it increasingly it is, hard you know like it's it, it is difficult yeah it is um we've had people you know that uh, were on their own in a specific country remotely hmm. and then we realize okay it's becoming very difficult for them in, in the mid and long term and so you We're we're seeing, you know, but I think this is a challenge everyone is now tackling. Yeah. Uh, we'll see, you know, if you give the freedom of if people want to come back to offices, let them do so. If they want to remain at home or remote or be in other jurisdictions uh, besides their home base, we'll, let, let's see. But so far, I think, you know, COVID was a catalyst. People are, yeah. are uh, getting used to it and it depends of, of their own personal needs. Okay, cool. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about the farm. 
that you have uh, set up together with your friends, colleagues, partners, customers, funder, uh, funders. Um, as far as I understand, you changed the business model slightly, um, going from you know purely uh, for profit, you know, being a venture, hundred um, x ideally, into something that is more collaborative. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah. So. The idea here is, um, so it starts with a SAS, okay? It is a reporting tool for sustainable finance reporting, corporates, SAS managers, banks. But gradually you realize, um, you know, you've in finance, for example, we had this um, um, open open banking that mm -hmm. was put in place by the regulators and slowly moving towards open finance to include all financial sectors and then open data. And so you realize um, that we're speaking here of climate change and the idea is to bring people together to tackle it and mutualize the efforts. There's no point of everyone working in your own corner or developing overlapping solutions. Uh, you, you have to bring one, everyone around the corner. And so we realized, so for example, um, we have now uh, 12 banks we work with and they have to screen uh, their loan books and get data from their counterparties. And we realized also, you know, you're as a corporate today, you're going to be asked by five different players to submit such data, usually data, depending on, you know, how many banks, investors, rating agencies you work with. And it's all duplication of work. Hmm. And so the idea is, what about we bring together the banks and have corporates submit this data once for the benefit of all players connected to this ecosystem? And not only from a pure infrastructure perspective, create an interbank ecosystem, but most importantly, also from a strategic perspective. We today have uh, a major financial market infrastructure as a shareholder of, of Greenomy, and we're bringing other major financial institutions to be part of this consortium. And they're all put together in a user committee, or why I should call it a user owner committee, and they are working together in, 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 shaping feed, uh, in sharing feedback on how the infrastructure should be shaped further, what, exact are, what exactly are their needs, pains, problems, and how, what exact technological features can, would help them achieve that that ultimate goal and that's that's uh that is coming now to fruition and more importantly it's also the partners that we have brought aboard you know technological players consultancy firms all gathered together on one single infrastructure and providing their own specific offerings features uh as a as a collective marketplace and each are working on their specific niche to tackle this problem. So that's that's where where we're heading. And then the idea, of course, is in the mid-long term, as you have more and more players on board, is to, of course, reduce the costs of generating, certifying ESG data, of sharing it, of collecting it, so that you can spend the time and the resources less, again, on, on the on the uh, on on the data and reporting compliance and more on the analysis you know mm. what do i do with this data what the insights insights i get how do i improve my sustainability as a corporate over time this is my score today i want to reach that score in the next five years what do i need to do exactly how much is it going to cost me how much do i need to raise how many basis points can i achieve uh, pragmatically 
with the measures I'm putting in place. And the same if you're a bank or an asset manager, what is the correlation between my overall portfolio sustainability score and the return investment? Or if you're a bank, okay, well, here's a sustainability link loan. How do I want to adapt the interest rate based on the, co- the achievements my customer reaches in terms of sustainability? And that is that is really the end. Well, that was the purpose of the legislation, first of all. It's to make sure everyone speaks the same language. That's why the taxonomy is out there. And then in the next over the next 30 years, ensure that, it's, that it helps the transition of the real economy. So we today, of course, we're all focusing on on the data, the reporting aspects, but eventually what will matter is all the analytics to generate so data-driven insights and make sure the financing goes towards those projects that matter the most in terms of uh, sustainable transition. Yeah. And and how do you see the you know the role of auditors and assurance companies in, in that? Because obviously they do a lot of work on data for their customers. Under CSRD, as you may know, there is limited assurance. So these 49,000 corporates will have to certify their annual reports together with, as they're already doing with, with financial reporting. So um, is there in Europe 49,000 human experts to assist all of these corporates? No. The answer is no. How do you increase volume? Uh, I believe that technology and digitization is a way of, of uh, assisting there. So uh, the idea for us is we have and keep building features that help address you know the legislation and, and the reporting in the most trivial aspects. You know, matching the knowing what applies to you specifically as, as specific screening criteria, match it to the data points you're measuring or collecting in your database, and consolidating the reports and ensure that they become as audit ready as possible so that the certification can go as fast as possible. But what matters most, and that's again where uh, data analytics uh, matter and it can assist this human interventions and all the consultancy is consultancy firms can help these corporates, these banks, these asset managers to see how to improve the sustainability, you know, how to improve it. And so same with financial reporting. You know, when IFRS came out, it was a mess for everyone and you had to get used to it. And then you had plenty of financial softwares that have, uh, you know, that uh, have been created and that help accelerate, facilitate those efforts and reduce the costs. And today, the focus is more on, you know, how to optimize your your financial models, um, and and uh, uh, human 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 time and brain should be focused on, you know, what matters most. It's the transition, and technology should focus on the the more uh, repetitive tasks of getting the data, matching it, generating reports, and measuring. I love that at the end, you know, like uh, we're close to the end of our podcast, but but that was a, a super summary of kind of, you know, how, how I also would see the world in terms of, you know, data analytics, supporting the sustainable transformation of our economies, which we need, and uh, frankly, is, is very hard to achieve. But one last question, you know, personally, again, uh, uh, to you. Like in in ten years, twenty years, thirty years time, what are you going to be doing? Um, are you still kind of running? Hopefully, they're not a startup anymore, but you know, a big, big firm. Or are you kind of you know doing something completely different? So, where do you see yourself, and and how would you recommend the listeners to to think about that question for themselves? 
hopefully, uh, the idea is to have this EU wide market infrastructure that facilitates the, the mutualization of ESG data and works with the right partners to focus specifically, as mentioned, on, on the analytics and the transition. And so that, that would be, you know, the, the end goal. Um, on a personal level, also, you know, making sure, you know, a big satisfaction I get is also, you know, uh, with this vision, the fact that now has become reality, it's constantly developing. And then the biggest satisfaction of entrepreneurs to that your idea that came out is becomes a reality. And that when whatever you think true, you can build it and you get that confidence that you can keep building and, and developing it. And so that's, that brings you huge motivation. And I also am very motivated by, by the team of people I brought together around me, you know, uh, that are driven by this mission. Uh, well, of course, more, on a more trivial aspect, all the employment we're generating, that's also very satisfying that you can help contribute uh, in, from a, on the S&G side of things also. By, by setting up a, a company. But my key advice is uh, well, resilience. Be ready to be faced by huge challenges and you have to have the confidence to keep pushing. When, you, when you're leading such a project, you can feel, feel very lonely and you have to make sure you also keep your head up for your team. Because they're also looking towards you, you know, to to maintaining that that resilience, um, and and finding the solutions when 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 the problems are are the most serious. But also agility. You had one vision, but be ready to adapt it, and you know, and test it, and constantly improve, and don't focus too much on what you believe before is a hard truth. It's constantly evolving, and so you have to adapt as fast as possible. So to sum up resilience and adaptability and i would add no fear <laughs> that's probably the last thing yeah no fear it's uh, you have to be risk averse but at the same time you have to be risk averse in a sensible manner uh, that's true uh, that's true indeed. good stuff alex as always a pleasure looking forward to to keep uh, uh, our dialogue and uh, and to connect a couple of things. And um, thank you so much for your time and, uh, and the effort here. Very grateful for that. Andreas, thanks for having me. And, and also, uh, I'm, I can only be you know, um, supportive and in, inspired by what you're doing in the field of, of sustainable finance and, and with data land and, and all the other initiatives that, that you're leading. And uh, I'm, I'm very honored uh, to... to uh, know you and and work together with you awesome thank you so much that was a, a very good end to this <laughs> bye bye thank have a good you. one ciao ciao bye 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 this is the end of today's episode but stay tuned many more interesting topics are yet to come and don't forget to hit the follow button to never miss a new and exciting episode of our podcast important problems